The following is a conversation between Will Warshower, President and CEO of TechnoServe, and Denver Frederick, the host of The Business of Giving. TechnoServe is a leader in harnessing the power of the private sector to help people lift themselves out of poverty. Well, what happens to that work and the entrepreneurs that they support in the midst of a pandemic? Here to tell us how they're addressing the COVID-19 crisis while continuing this critical work is Will Warshower, the President and CEO of TechnoServe. Welcome back to the Business of Giving, Will. Great to be here, Denver. Start, if you would, by giving us a quick overview of what TechnoServe does and how it operates. Sure. We're a 52-year-old not-for-profit organization working in 27 countries, providing business solutions to poverty. So we work with enterprising men and women. Many of them are, are small-scale farmers. Many of them are running uh, small businesses. And we help them gain the skills, the access to finance, and the access to markets that they need so that their businesses and farms can be successful, can grow, and their families and communities can come out of poverty and stay out of poverty. What has been the impact of uh, this pandemic on those small business owners and those farmers, as well as your work? Well, it's uh, early days uh, still, I think, unfortunately, Denver, but, you know, there's a huge variety. We're in 27 different countries with a range of, of programs and, and a range of donors, and obviously our ability to work is influenced by the policies that uh, local governments are putting in place. And quite sensibly, many of these governments are, are, are locking down right now and encouraging people as much as possible to to, to not travel, stay inside, do social distancing. So in that sense, where we were previously holding big uh, trainings for groups of people, we're having to go online and we're doing more and more work with our clients through WhatsApp and through Facebook and, and through even text messages and phone calls than, than we have been in person. So I would assume that all your 1,200 employees, no matter where they are in the world, are now working remotely and out of their home or wherever they're staying? Uh, virtually all of them are. There are some parts of, of, of West Africa in particular where people are still permitted to move around a bit. I mean, our priorities have been in the first instance to keep our staff safe. And somewhat remarkably, we've only had two cases of COVID among our staff members. One's fully recovered and, and one is active now. But we've also wanted to be very careful not to inadvertently become a vector for the, for the virus and transmit it to our clients. So we've been careful about that, but all the while trying our best to uh, provide ongoing assistance to our clients as best we can in these strange circumstances. I know that TechnoServe is a very agile and nimble organization. So how has your thinking changed in terms of working with your farmers and your small businesses in terms of what your intent had been with, with them? And now with this pandemic, how are you working with them in a different fashion? Yeah, let me take that in two parts, Denver. It's slightly different for our clients who are running small businesses and, and, and different for those who are farming. For the, for the small business owner, traditionally our work with her is focusing on how to grow her business. We're all about growth and because uh, small businesses drive account for most of the jobs in most of these markets, uh, our main goal is to help her grow her business as fast as she can and, and grow employment in that way as well. For the time being, that emphasis has totally shifted, and we're really focusing with these entrepreneurs on survival, on getting through this crisis period. And, you know, in many cases, that's uh, an adaptation 
of their business. Um, just as we see here in the United States, many of the the entrepreneurs we work with are running small restaurants. And mm -hmm. so they are having to pivot to a, uh, a model where they are delivering food or doing it only for takeout and working in that way. But the, the focus with them is really on keeping the business alive so that it's ready to come back as, as business becomes more normal and more possible again. For our farmers, often as uh, it's harder to work remotely with farmers, you have lower literacy rates, you have less access. Almost all of them have a regular uh, mobile phone, but not so many of them have smartphones yet. And so while we can do some things with phone calls and with text messages with them, we're also focusing a part of our work higher up the value chain so that we're working with the food processors who are processing the food, with the small uh, micro retail outlets where a lot of people in peri-urban areas actually go and buy the food, trying to make sure that the, that the supply chain for their food continues to function. Because to the extent that there's uh, going to be food shortages as a result of this crisis, they'll be different than the ones we've seen in the past. They won't be for a lack of production, but they'll be for some of the businesses in that supply chain failing or not connecting. And, and that's where we're focusing some of our efforts right now. Mm -hmm. You know, your teams have faced these kind of crises, or at least sort of in the past, particularly in Chile and Nicaragua, where there was tremendous social upheaval, but the businesses and farmers that work with you, 87% of them were able to survive. Were there some practices and, and lessons to be taken from that experience that might be applicable to the current one we're having? Well, I think so. I mean, I would say just to start, I have been so impressed and inspired by my 1,200 colleagues uh, around the world and about 95% of TechnoServe's workforce is in our countries of operation in these emerging markets. And so these are people who have lived and worked through uh, civil wars, genocides, coup d'etats, earthquakes, hurricanes, and the like. And they spent about a half a day sort of processing this and very quickly pivoted to what they could do to uh, help ameliorate it. They, they didn't waste time with their head in their hands. They, they got back to work. And it is, it, it's that spirit and some of the experience that they're drawing on, which allows them, I think, to work with people in these uncertain times, in these difficult times. And as you say, in, in previous crises, we've seen instances where on balance, half of small businesses failed, and yet almost 90% of them that we worked with were able to weather the crisis. And that's really got to be the focus. These small businesses are going to be essential as we begin to ramp business back up and rebuild and as people are going to need access to essential goods and services in the aftermath of this. And so um, preserving the business, uh, thinking about where you can take costs out, thinking about how you can pivot your business model to have some revenue coming in in this very difficult time, all those lessons are serving us well right now. Yeah, and getting back to those 1,200 employees, and in looking at that incident in Nicaragua and Chile, they really did provide the emotional support that these entrepreneurs needed and stayed connected with them and made them feel supported. And, you know, we always think about the business aspects of it, but there's a lot to the human aspect that, that these entrepreneurs need to hear that familiar voice, that friendly voice, and, and let them know they're not in this alone. I'm glad you mentioned that, Denver. It's easy to overlook that, but you're absolutely right. And we've heard that from the farmers we work with and the small business people we work with. Over 90% of our staff 
are working in the country that they come from. So they speak the local language, they're not going anywhere, and they are in touch through whatever form on the phone. We're producing some radio shows, we're doing a number of things, but we get feedback from these clients that they just get some comfort knowing that we're still there. We're still mm-hmm. with them. And so just as all of us here in the United States have the, our own sort of psychic issues, emotional issues to deal with going through a crisis like this, our clients are no different. And that supports it very important as well. Yeah, I heard from a nonprofit the other day who told me that one of their funders called them up to reassure them. And you say, well, that's a kind of a perfunctory. She said it made all the difference in the world. Those reassurances, you just really can't put a price tag on there. So in the way you're working, Will, have any new practices emerged that you say to yourself, you know what, when we get back to a semblance of normal, we might want to codify this and make this part of our workplace culture? Yeah, I mean, we were fortunate, Denver, in that we've been making a fairly strong push into having technology enable more of our work, being able to do more with distance learning before this crisis hit. So we had a bit of a head start, and certainly I think uh, a lot of these practices that, that we're doubling down on right now are not going to go away in the future. And because of that head start, we've been fortunate to be able to rapidly put out a couple of white papers. These are freely available on our website, and I hope that they can help others working in our space. One of them is entitled Supporting Entrepreneurs with Digital Tools, How to Make Remote Learning Impactful. And that was sponsored by the VTOL Foundation and had been uh, uh, a couple of months, three months in the making. And and so the timing of being able to put this up right now uh, couldn't be better. And then we did something much more quickly, uh, which we just started as the crisis got going, which is called uh, the Coronavirus and Entrepreneurs in the Developing World, Learning to Support Businesses in Crisis. So both of those are helpful. Both of those pull together some of our uh, learnings about remote distance learning and, and business, uh, supporting business in crises. So we hope that they're, they're helpful to people. Yeah. And again, both on your website and both are for free, correct? Uh, www.technoserve.org. Yes, they're for free and they're both up right now. Well, what have you found the keys to be an effective leader in a crisis? And how do you see your leadership and maybe other leaders in the sector changing in this post-COVID-19 world we will be entering? You know, Denver, I think you could do a whole show or a whole week of shows on, on this question. It has really been a challenging time for leaders, I think, and I find that it amplifies times five or times 10 all of the leadership challenge that many of us think about every day. Communication becomes so much more important and and harder to do. People need to hear from their leaders more often, more regularly now. And of course, it is harder. You can't get in a room with people. On the other hand, our, our in-house webinars and our in-house all staff meetings and all, we've never seen the attendance we're seeing now. So it shows people's hunger for the communication. And I'm trying to, I'm doing a weekly open Q&A that's open to all of our staff. I do little two, three-minute videos about sort of what I'm working on today, what's on my mind that go out regularly. So I'm trying to help people hear a lot from me. I think also when you're leading in a time like this, you need to be careful about balancing honesty and optimism. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got to be straight with people right now. You can't you you can't sugarcoat things, and and you've got to be clear and pretty transparent about the challenges that the organization faces and that our clients are facing. At the same time, people want hope. They want to know there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and I and I know that there is. And so to try to help them with that as well is I think quite important. Yeah. Last thing, I, last thing I would say, at Denver is, uh, and it's especially uh, challenging, I think, for many of us at TechnoServe, is working with with an exceptionally high degree of ambiguity. We have a culture at TechnoServe that's very data driven. We have a workforce that is a lot of former management consultants, so they like to have reams and reams of data before they get to a decision. And we are, as a lot of senior management teams are right now, running various scenarios and trying to think about how the, how the uh, pandemic will roll through our various countries of operations and what will be the various effects we're going to see and have to cope with. And there just is a real shortage of good data to base that on. So we're making some very important consequential decisions with a, with a very high degree of ambiguity. And I think leaders have to make their peace with that. Have you made yours? How does that feel? I mean, you're probably getting 50% of the information where before you were getting 95, but there's no time to wait. You have to make those decisions much earlier than you otherwise might have. Uh, How does that sit with you? Well, that's right. We're trying to do both. We're trying to split the difference. So there's some decisions we have to make today and, and we're taking the best available information and we're doing a great deal of modeling. So we've got sort of good case, medium case, worst case scenarios and trying to do some planning attached with all of those and trying to understand in which scenario we believe we're living today. We are increasingly thinking about what our clients are going to need and what the world is going to be like as we move out of the medical crisis that we're in today and into what's going to be a big economic crisis when the virus subsides. And we are fortunate to be getting some support from Bain & Company And we've got a study in the field right now looking at different markets, trying to understand timing and and how we think they'll come back, looking at different economic sectors, trying to understand again how each will be affected and the kind of support they may need, and looking across donors and trying to understand what their priorities will be and, and, and how they are thinking about reacting, particularly as, as, this, as the medical problem begins to subside. So that, that will scratch our itch a little bit. We should have results back from that in about six weeks, and that should scratch our itch a little bit to be able to do some data-based decision-making. But, you know, I'm fortunate. I have an exceptional senior team. And I am chairing a a COVID working group. We are uh, meeting daily, about six of the most senior managers at TechnoServe. And so the ability to hash through these problems and and talk about them with that great group of senior leaders is uh, essential for me. Yeah. Let me close with this, Will. And if I may, maybe I'll scratch that. It's just a little bit early, but I'd be curious as to what you think the impact of this is going to be on the sector how philanthropic organizations will go about their giving, and also how nonprofits might have to operate and function differently in the future than they were before (laughs) COVID-19. Denver, every every other question here is the subject of uh, could be several shows. Um, (laughs) Look, I, I think a number of us are concerned 
that developed country governments and, and philanthropists and foundations in developed countries uh, may look inward after this. Uh, mm. There would be a lot of need in their, in their home countries. And so one concern is that we not forget the challenges in, in developing countries. And indeed, you know, as has been said by many, sheltering in place and social distancing is really uh, a luxury that, that better off people have. And, and people um, living in slums and day laborers who have to work every day to earn that money that they need to eat every day just don't have that luxury. And, and this virus will move into those countries, many of whom their public health system is woefully uh, unprepared. For it, So the need is going to be there and be substantial, and I hope that the donors don't lose sight of that. I think that uh, on a more optimistic note, if this epidemic teaches us anything, Denver, it teaches us that we're all connected. Mm. And we say that often in a, in a nice, airy-fairy way, but we really see it now quite directly. And so the, you know, the, the, what, the good of the, the, the a more prosperous, a more healthy population, increasingly you can't discriminate by this country border or that country border. You really need to, to build prosperity and build proper health systems all over the world to keep us all healthy. And I think that's one of the takeaways from this. And lastly is just, I used to spend half my life on airplanes and I, I, I had the privilege to meet a lot of our clients all over the world. And I came away from those meetings inevitably profoundly impressed by the resilience, by the determination of the clients that we work with all over the world. And so I, I hold on to that. That gives me a source of great optimism that as difficult as this will be in a lot of those settings, with those people who are ready to go back to work and who have been so resilient through the face of so much, they will find a way through this also. And I want us and other nonprofits to be there as best we can to support them in that. See, I ask you these big questions, Will, because you answer them all so well. I know how terribly busy you are, and I just wanted to let you know how grateful I am to you for taking the time and sharing this information with us today. Thanks very much, and stay well, Will. Thank you, Denver. Real pleasure.